It is industry-wide, and I think that there are lots of different avenues you can look at. One is reducing plastics overall. The other is plastics that are more recyclable um, and being able to ensure that you've got recyclable packaging. Um, And another is just really looking at the whole chain and what is required to produce those plastics in the first place. So water usage, energy usage, the working conditions where the it's being produced. So there are lots of different components to this and um, it's complex and you're right, there's, um, there's food safety and freshness and all those things to consider as well. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today I talk with Stan Amy and Christy McFarland. Stan is one of the co-founders of New Seasons Market and now serves on its board of directors. Christy was in HR and served as the chief people officer for four years and recently took over as one of two co-presidents. New Seasons Market was founded in 2000 and employs over 3,000 people and now has about 20 stores in Oregon, Southwest Washington, and California. Most of them are in the Portland metro region. Now you reel it back to 1969, and uh, nature's got started around people who wanted certain types of food that weren't available to them, and they ended up um, banding together and creating a, a store. And then those of us who started New Seasons were actually involved in nature's for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we started New Seasons, we saw the opportunity to make it more of a neighborhood store in that we combined the pure natural foods positioning of nature's with focusing on making it accessible to a broader cross-section of the neighborhoods we were in by carrying conventional products as well so people could do their full shopping. We weren't, in effect, asking them to make two trips. We felt that that better enabled us to be part of that community as opposed to apart from it and only serving part of it, and that that was one of the major functions that a neighborhood store had the potential Mm-hmm. Is that where you saw one of the ways to improve on nature's is by broadening the items that you were carrying? Yes. Yeah. You know, the business speak of it is is it let, made us less dependent on demographics and enabled us to put stores closer together mm-hmm. because we served a larger percentage of the population so we could provide more locational convenience. So we, in, by providing convenience of selection, we could also provide convenience of location and a deeper position in the in, in the community. And um, and having it serve as a gathering place, a uh, broader appeal. Yeah, yeah. and the, uh, the another key driver. You're making me think of those of what the changes are because we tried to be clear about it when we made the change was to make uh, shopping easier. I think those of us who grew up in the natural foods industry were really interested in, in making stores amazing because they were all new and different. And the result was we often built mazes that people had to work their way through <laughs> in the store. And so, in many ways, New Seasons is a key brand driver for them has been easy yeah. and to um, linear aisles, clear markings, et cetera, so recognizing that people's time is valuable. Well, and as you were describing that, I was thinking about the natures that was located on Clinton because that's the one that I went to, Clinton and 26th. I 
No, Division. Sorry. I was living on Clinton. Division and 26th. And you mentioned the mazes, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember sort of moving my way around there. <laughs> and up and down ramps. And yes, and up and down. I forgot about those. <laughs> and as you're describing both of them, I'm picturing, you know, the new seasons now that I go to on Hawthorne versus the nature's on Division. So that's interesting um, sort of way that you described it. I like, I like those differences. Were there any other things about nature's that you thought we like but we want to improve on to make it more appealing to everyone in the neighborhood? We expanded and have continued to expand uh, our offerings in prepared foods because of the way that people's busy lives have caused them to change the way in which they eat. So we, were, we tried to be responsive to that. I think sort of behind the scenes, we had a chance to write new corporate documents when we created hmm. uh, New Seasons, and we adopted a stakeholder concept that uh, sets goals for the company to um, balance the interests of all the stakeholders in the food system. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, and so that includes our suppliers, our staff, and obviously ultimately the customers as well yeah. as our investors and the broader environment and the broader community. And so made that things that were implicit before mm-hmm. that we, uh, we had a chance to make explicit. Mm-hmm. And start from scratch yeah. and, and build up that way. So the first store, Raleigh Hills, came about and let's see, that was about 2000? Yes. I think in 2018, you're now at about 20 stores, is that right? Mm-hmm. 20 stores in Oregon, Washington, and Northern California, and over 4,000 employees. Yes. Wow. After 18 years. Did you, um, did you imagine when you started the new seasons, having been in Nature's for a couple of decades, how new seasons would grow, and is this sort of the path that you were hoping for? Well, we definitely imagined growing, and that was one of the aspects of making the store appeal to more people Mm -hmm. and making us be be viable in different types of neighborhoods that was important to us because we saw that increasingly that if we were going to be able to meaningfully support the producers that produced the food that we wanted, we needed to have enough uh, volume at retail to create those mm-hmm. urban-rural partnerships to produce uh, differentiated food. And early on, we tried to, we were very clear that we wanted to be a different type of grocery store in that we would be a purchasing agent for consumers rather than just a sales agent for manufacturers. Right. And so we were taking consumers who had interest in specific foods and then connecting with stewardship-oriented producers over the years, that grew to be both a two-way street. And so re- recognizing that volume is really important to being able to support positive progressive change. It's also challenging, right? right. And so we have, throughout our history, <laughs> dealt with, I remember when with Nature's we went from two stores to three stores, mm-hmm. and we had members of our community who said, oh, my God, we've become Safeway. <laughs> you, know, the, um, you know, that sentiment is accurate in reflecting the fact that there is a challenge with scale and how do you translate the way in which you actualize values mm-hmm. in a larger scale and, you, and, and style needs to change and it has to become more structured. Christy knows a lot more about making that <laughs> process <laughs> yeah. happen than I do, but yeah. Yeah, that taking those ideas and beliefs that you have starting off and growing, it's harder to maintain all of that as you get bigger. 
particularly if you're not conscious about it. Right. You have to literally choose sometimes. Uh, the, what really shocked me originally is that the most efficient way and effective way to maintain a sense of cohesion and, and, and common view and purpose at when we were at one or two stores was informal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you just walk around and talk, right. right? But as you got larger, if you wanted to include everybody in that information and, and have two-way channels, um, you had to create formal structures yeah. to accomplish what had happened informally, and that and style changes are tough to, ch- to you know. But I think they are manageable as long as you are really conscious about what is the value we're trying to preserve by making this change in style. Right. You you lose the face to face ability to interact with the customers and your employees and the and the producers, but that doesn't mean that you lose the ability to have an impact in all of those areas. Right, and and to structure that face-to-face in more formal structures as opposed to just walking around and talking to everybody about a talk- topic, you might have a staff committee about a topic. Yeah, and yeah. so what are some of those staff committees? Sure, we have a values team that is representative of every store in the company as well as our support offices and the central kitchen. We have green teams in every store that are focused on our sustainability efforts. We have a mission council that where the values team really looks at how we do what we do and live our values day to day in our decision making. The mission council is looking at our broader impact on community and um, and the environment and what kind of stance we want to take publicly on any issues that affect our community. Mm-hmm. So um, those are a couple of the teams. We have safety committees in every store. And really, our approach is when we have a, a big problem to solve, we want to look at it from that multi-stakeholder view that Stan was talking about. So one of the most important um, voices to hear is our staff. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at things like um, wanting to think about training programs or how we recognize and celebrate our staff, we bring them in and say, what are your ideas and what are the best ways to do this? But also, operationally, they have the answers. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where we always start is yeah. with our staff. I love the story of the day you told me the other day about focusing on reducing waste that combined to a community objective with gleaning that combined yes. with staff, you know. At- yeah, yeah. I think um, where we're, where New Seasons is most um, uniquely positioned relative to, to other companies is that we're right at this intersection of things that are business challenges for us, um, as well as others in the industry or other retailers, and social challenges, yeah. right? So um, we try to find solutions that look at both of those at the same time. Mm-hmm. So... We know that food waste is a challenge, not just in our industry, but, you know, beyond. And so that's a business problem, but it's also a social and environmental problem. And we're trying to solve it from from both angles Um, and things like um, how we start to help our customers make different choices Mm -hmm. by what's available to them in the store, either um, purchasing products that are sustainably sourced or farmed, um, or looking at things like we just piloted um, a go box in our Slabtown store. So um, that's something where customers can choose to use reusable packaging for their to-go items instead of 
um, disposable packaging. So it's an early test, and hopefully we can roll that out to more locations. But Yeah, and the Go Box is great. Uh, I'm a member of it, and um, for those who are listening who don't know what it is, you have a membership, a yearly membership, and there are a number of participating food carts and restaurants and new seasons at one store anyway, who you can purchase food from. It gets packaged in the go box. You take it home or, you know, to work or what have you. Consume the food, rinse it out. You can take it back to the participating folks. And with all of the changes that, you know, happened the first of the year, and I I know it impacted new seasons and other recyclables a few months before with plastic packaging, um, this is a nice addition to helping to solve that problem. So I'm keeping mm-hmm. my fingers crossed yeah. that the Slabtown store finds success in it and it moves to other new seasons mm-hmm. because as a consumer who's conscious about these purchases, you know, it's hard to pass up certain foods because I don't like the packaging. <laughs> I do it, but I do it reluctantly. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that, you know, if New Seasons can find success in it at, you know, all of these Portland stores or even some of the Portland stores, because I know GoBox is pretty limited, then that opens up the the whole game, mm-hmm. really. New Seasons has the ability now at, is it 16 stores in Portland? Around 20. The, 20 around 20 stores in Portland. In Portland and then itself. we have um, California locations okay. as well. So, you know, even if half of these Portland stores find success in it, New Seasons has the ability to broaden these things, just like you have the ability to help your producers grow and to make these products available to the consumers. So mm-hmm. that's a big opportunity. And beyond that, we're privileged by the fact that our customers are willing to invest yeah. in positive changes. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it easier for us than other grocers to mm-hmm. test things. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we can prove that it's feasible, then there's the opportunity, the, the potential that other grocers, as they did with organic and local yeah. and whatever, will find that that's a path to go down. And so that in terms of the social impact, uh, that that sort of abstract, catalytic process is really what excites me the most. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, and I was thinking as you were just talking about that, that part of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but part of your ideas behind Nature's and New Seasons is helping to promote these things and to make them more broadly acceptable. And so this is right up your alley. And some of the other, one question I thought of earlier when you were speaking, Stan, these producers, um, you know, whether it's the farms or or the makers of, of different products, have a lot of them been with you since the beginning and you've helped grow and help them become more viable and you know, help them through tough times. Oh, absolutely. Over the years, I can go back to nature's with, what was it, Glory Bee Honey that we, you know, in advance bought a year supply of honey because they had hit a, a crisis. Yeah. And, you know, uncon- you know, we contracted for and delivered the cash in advance so that they could rework their plant and stay in business. And that process has been repeated multiple times. Mm-hmm. And uh, Christy will know more precise <laughs> stories than I am, but, but some of the ones that excite me the most yeah. is with Kathy Panner, who developed our lamb supply off her own small ranch in uh, southern Oregon. And then as we grew, 
had neighbors doing the same. And, and when she started, there really was no significant market for Oregon lamb. I mean, it was lamb was all about buying it from New Zealand, right? Wow. And, and, and it was all uh, advertised as the best lamb New Zealand um, was, was the sales pitch. And so we, we were able to create a growing market for Oregon lamb. And that led to uh, an economic development boon in that area of Southern Oregon for ranchers to have viable family farms and in turn, they eventually had, uh, you know, every success leads to a challenge. Their challenge became, how do we get to market? How do we, we need a processing plant? And they were able, with our contracted dollars, to, con- to invest in that and create it. And then that has served other producers, not just in land, but other product. So for me, that's exciting. So yeah. um, mm-hmm. finding uh, rural economic development that makes it viable to have family farms and to follow sustainable practices mm. is really exciting. And ultimately, we're positioned to be, because we're in the middle between yeah. the consumer and the producers, to really just be the connector. And you know what drives it is that you've got people on either other, either side with values and we're facilitating them to, to meet up. Mm-hmm. But you have probably some well, more I think, current. You know, uh, great food sometimes takes more care in producing and is more expensive to produce. So we work with our producers to make sure that their business is viable because we want to bring that amazing product to our customers. And, yeah. you know, one example is um, the Hood strawberries or something that, see, you just smiled well, when I said I Hood strawberries. My mouth is and, um, <laughs> and customers call and ask us, are the Hoods in yet? Yeah. And, you know, they set aside pallets and, you know, it's they're really excited about um, those strawberries coming and they're not easy to grow and no. so we've um, built a longer term partnership with Unger Farms to make sure that they're um, sustainable and, mm-hmm. and able to provide that to us so those long term partnerships are really valuable for our customers as well as for us and for the, the producers it's a good cycle Absolutely. all the way around Absolutely, yeah. they know that you guys are going to be around and if they produce it you will Purchase it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's strawberries. <laughs> uh, and and yeah. I think the, um, you know, there's those longer-term relationships, and then there's also just sort of a constant stream of new vendors that we're helping bring to market. And um, it's exciting to see but, someone start really small yeah. and, and then grow their business. You know, that's an interesting example of where we've had an informal program that was, you know, Jeff Fairchild knowing the youngers and developing the, the hood relationship. And the key with hood hoods uh, is not just they're hard to grow they're hard to retail they're hard to, they're delicate they are and and so there isn't a market for them unless everybody in the chain cares yes um, the but the you know that happened all very out of personal relationships and uh, and the and very sort of idiosyncratically one-offs but now you've moved that to the point of being programmatic with mm-hmm. what Chris does and yeah yeah so I think um, well, we have we have lots of different ways that we help bring new vendors to market. One is a partnership with um, PCC and mm. their Bring Your Recipe to Market curriculum. I don't know if you're familiar no. with that. Yeah, but it's a it's a 14 week training for um, new startup vendors, and then um, we have events at our support offices where we taste and and help bring some of these new vendors to market. So we have a lot of local products that started that way and yeah yeah. well you guys also have the um partner brands Mm -hmm. where you've partnered with 
most of my, I believe, are local brands and develop sort of your own private label or private brand. Yeah. Uh, Masala Pop is mm-hmm. one of them, and they're a small startup in Portland. Right. Wild Friends, uh, those are the Nut Butters and Don Poncho for the tortilla chips. I mean, that's a nice way to also invest in the community, but also bring good products to the consumer. Absolutely. And I think um, a lot of retailers have their own private brand right. and it's um, it's an affordable brand. It's a value mm-hmm. brand for their customers, which is a good choice to have. Mm-hmm. And we try to bring local vendor if possible. Not all of our partner brands are local, but we really try to select great quality products at an affordable price and knowing that um, there's a relationship there and mm-hmm. it's supporting that food economy more broadly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's expressed in the fact that their name's on the label yes. as yeah. well as ours. So yes. they're not a silent partner who we could replace with somebody who will give us a cheaper right. ingredient right. the next year. Yeah. They the are, partnership is key. Yeah. 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 Because they bring something to the table. Again, that well. yeah. combining stakeholders. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You were mentioning all the committees that you have and what has come out of it. Well, some of the items that have come out of it have been the public policy advocacy Mm -hmm. aspect of New Seasons. Uh, 2014, the big GMO labeling campaign that unfortunately failed, but keep your fingers crossed that it comes (laughs) up again. Uh, Raising a minimum wage in 2015. Mm -hmm. And then uh, New Seasons as a company has also urged Oregon lawmakers to increase affordable housing, which... Mm -hmm is a big issue for all of us, but it's also in a way an advocacy for your employees. Have these ideas come from them? Is it sort of a partnership with these stakeholders that you've got? It is a partnership. It's it's certainly advancing minimum wage was something that was a conversation with our staff yeah. um, and listening to what's important to them and also understanding the overall market for Um, employment in Portland and how it was changing. Something that we also heard from our staff was we have families and so we um, are one of the first grocers to offer a paid parental leave benefit Mm -hmm. that um, covers all sorts of families however um, our staff choose to define family Mm -hmm. and that's not something that we have taken a public policy stance on, but it's it will be coming, and yeah. we will, <laughs> um, I think, have a voice in that. And overall, um, I think practices that affect um, people's work lives are something that's, that are important to us. Affordable housing is important to us because it, it directly affects our staff, and the more we can have staff who are able to live and work in the same community, um, the more that relationship is built with our customers. Mm-hmm. You're listening to King's Portland 50 series. I'll continue my conversation with Stan Amy and Christy McFarlane in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Stan Amy and Christy McFarlane. Stan is one of the co-founders of New Seasons Market and now serves on its board of directors. Christy was in HR and served as the chief people officer for four years and recently took over as one of two co-presidents. New Seasons Market was founded in 2000, employs over 3,000 people, and now has about 20 stores in Oregon, Southwest Washington, and California. Most of them are in the Portland metro region. 
I want to talk some of the about some of the programs that I saw on your website, and I'm only I only wrote down some of them, um, but these are the ones that um, certainly piqued an interest in me. Uh, there's a community loan fund mm-hmm. that was started at New Seasons. Tell me how that came about. Sure, that really is staff supporting staff. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an opportunity for staff to donate in every through paycheck donations as little as one dollar per paycheck to a community loan fund and then in times of hardship staff can apply for those funds for loans um, basically they're they're supporting each other through that process and we have a small committee <laughs> made up of staff who assess those loan applications and determine um, whether the funds are for the appropriate reason. So we, we really want to focus that on, on times of hardship yeah. and um, have helped people through a variety of different types of situations through that. Mm-hmm. There's also Linda Hand that was, mm-hmm. I think, formally uh, recognized in 2012, but had been going on for a little while. For a while, yeah. yeah. So uh, the Linda Hand program is eight hours of paid time off to volunteer for the organization of your choice. And so staff can do that individually or many do it as teams or as whole stores sometimes. In the spring, we had a a company-wide meeting with our, the leaders, the store managers across all of our stores. And we sent 500 people out for a half day of service together um, all across Portland. So it was really fun to do. And, um, And it's a way for people to be really connected and part of their community um, and get paid for it. Nice. So, and yeah. this one I thought was uh, neat. Some of the environmental stewardship. You have a number of different items mentioned there. But as we alluded to a little earlier with China's ban on imported recyclables, there's a goal for 2018, 25% of the stores conducting a waste audit. Mm-hmm. Is this sort of looking at where this, you know, your waste is coming from and how to... Yes, it's looking at how stores um, prevent waste in the first place and then um, their ability to recycle or divert mm-hmm. um, waste from our stores. So the audit helps us just pinpoint areas where we can focus more. Yeah. With the changes to the recycling capabilities, I guess I could say, GoBox is certainly one of those avenues where you're looking to reduce waste. Uh, plastic waste packaging. You know, you're 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 in a uh, a business where packaging is part of it. You have to keep food fresh. You have to keep it from spoiling. So you're limited in what you can do. But what other ideas have been circulating now that we're what uh, eight months into this restriction? What other ideas mm-hmm. have you been working with on that? Yeah. Well, I think. Just providing the customer choices is mm-hmm. always good. So this summer, our berry season, you see a lot more that was, um, for example, scoopable yeah. berries so that you could bring your own packaging or um, eliminate having the clamshell. But we also have that option available, too, because um, different things for different customers' right. choices. So. Some of the changes are more obvious and some will take time, but yeah. I think this is some place where we can really collaborate more with the industry overall mm-hmm. to look at solutions and take the steps that we can in our stores. I mean, 
something as simple, you know, bringing reusable bags has been a thing for a long time. But when you think about customers changing their behavior, it took a while to remember to bring your bags every time, mm-hmm. right? And um, one of the things I love about our program is that if you do bring a reusable bag, um, you can donate the credit that you would normally receive for get, bringing that bag to our um, community partners. Yeah. It's something we call Bag It Forward. Yep. And it. since it started, um, we've donated over $285,000 to community partners a nickel at a time. I love so. it. I, you know, people, when I'm buying my stuff, do you want to? Yes. And, and they <laughs> say, thank you. I say, no, thank you. Because yeah. I think it's a great way to give back to the community again. Yeah. And, you know, as a, as, a, as a shopper, I feel like I'm doing something, too. So um, that's kind of nice. Have you noticed changes, not just in Oregon, but maybe nationwide with grocers sort of struggling with the packaging aspect, or is this really a Pacific Northwest thing? Yeah, I think um, it is industry-wide, mm-hmm. and I think that there are lots of different avenues you can look at. One is reducing plastics overall. The other is plastics that are more recyclable mm-hmm. um, and being able to ensure that you've got recyclable packaging. Um, and another is just really looking at the whole chain and what is required to produce those plastics in the first place. So water usage, energy usage, the working conditions where the it's being produced. So there are lots of different components to this and um, it's complex and you're right, there's um, there's food safety and freshness and all those things to consider as well. Yeah. Well, I, I need, before we uh, get off the green and sustainability aspect, I need to give a shout out to a couple of the green teams, Hawthorne and Woodstock because they donated food, snacks, to our event. Uh, We had a uh, Paint the Town Green litter pickup in June, and they were on board coming to our meetings and very enthusiastic because we were cleaning up the Hawthorne area Mm -hmm. and other parts of Southeast neighborhoods. So just a shout out to the green teams because they are really involved in the neighborhoods. That was a nice... They are. And we have community coordinators in every one of our stores. I mean, I think that that's something different from other retailers as well, where we've got somebody there at every location that's really focused on building those relationships very locally. The moving forward, let's see, 18 years now, uh, there are different challenges from when new season started off in 2000. Food delivery has been a huge deal, and I understand the appeal of it. I like touching things, so it's never going to probably quite be my thing. But how does a smaller chain sort of wrestle with that? You've been experimenting with a few few food delivery services. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Stan talked about making shoppers' lives easier. Yeah. And so I think that's been a founding principle, and it's something that, that what does easy mean today? Right. <laughs> it means something a little bit different. So I think having a delivery option is something that people have come to expect. Mm -hmm. And so we have partnerships with um, Instacart and Amazon to provide that delivery service. We piloted uh, Grubhub delivery at our Grant Park location. So we're trying different ways that we can provide that service to our customers. We don't expect that that's going to take the place of coming in and smelling and tasting yeah. <laughs> fresh, wonderful produce and uh, interacting with our staff and yeah. having that conversation and being part of something a little bit different. But it is an expectation. So right. I think it's something that is really important for us to 
to be able to offer to our customers. And what's the feedback been? The feedback's been good. It's a supplement for a lot of customers, you know, and thinking about maybe it doesn't replace every shop, but it replaces one or two. Yeah. Yeah. You get into a bind. Like I said, as much as I like shopping, and and this sounds weird, but I don't mind grocery shopping. It's my kids are at home now. They're older. I can leave them at home, and I can just take my time and look at different things. I understand the appeal of wanting to have something delivered to your home. So, Well, the middle ground between home delivery and the way our stores and other stores generally are now would be a store that based most of the staples, the packaged goods, mm-hmm. the breadth of that offer uh, through a click and collect mechanism so that you know the customer could order by 10 p.m. the night before, come into their neighborhood store and shop perishables or dinner for that night out of their deli uh, and get introduced to new products and have that tote with those items meet them at the checkout. What that does for the customer is that on your replenishment items, you can have on your computer your own little shopping list and you just click what you you check what you want that order and you send the order so it speeds your shopping trip. I kind of like that. What it also does for both us and the customer is it actually allows us to build smaller stores Mm -hmm. because those collect items can be upstairs or downstairs and so you are smaller footprint. Right now the traditional supermarket is sort of from a real estate point of view a oxymoron. It pays retail rents for essentially a warehouse use, yeah. so large square footage, and they're hard to site. And so in terms of creating walkable neighborhoods, it's hard to drop, drop them in. So I can imagine a future in which there are actually more neighborhood stores, that they are that the neighborhoods they serve are tighter and smaller together, allowing more dense community, where the customer experience is actually enhanced because the staff in the store are no longer doing as much materials handling, moving from a big box to a little box mm-hmm. on a shelf. They're, uh, the, so increasingly the work becomes knowledge work like it is now for the people behind our cheese counters. But mm-hmm. Imagine th- emphasizing those aspects of what really of the high touch. So it's, for me, it's a combination of tech and touch. Right. And I think that that, that potential is out there. I think, you know, with technology, there's always the apply it like a hammer and then eventually you find that there's there are other ways that you can say well what are our values how do we use this to um, to expand those so I'd be really excited to see that happen uh, that that's something I could get on board with because you know the basics that you need but then yes I like to see the produce uh, I like to go to the meat counter and go hmm what looks good tonight what can I make and it does cut down on your time but yet you're experiencing uh, the sights and the smells and I think the parts that a lot of people enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, the fresh stuff. The so is part of that for you, wanting to go to the store, do you like running into your neighbors? Is that I do. Yeah. You know, I like mm-hmm. seeing, I was there on Sunday and I ran into a friend I hadn't seen in weeks because she'd been on vacation, then I'd been on vacation. I will, when I leave here, I'll take the Hawthorne bus. I get off at New Seasons. I'll stop in. I've got my grocery bag with me. I'll pick up a few fresh things, and I'll walk home. It's six, seven, eight blocks. And there are folks there that I've seen regularly for years. I do like that experience. I like mm-hmm. I like the fact, maybe it says something because I live in Portland, I like the neighborhood experience. I like knowing my neighbors. I like walking around my neighborhood and mm-hmm. seeing people that I know. 
So yeah, I think that's a big part of it, the neighborhood experience. Uh, One other thing that really excited me when I was doing my research last night was something new, the New Seasons Meal Kit. Mm -hmm. I've never done the Blue Apron or I don't know what else is out there. Mm -hmm. But this is something that you guys are experimenting with, I think. A partnership with Matt Leitner from Castagna, Mm -hmm. packaged at the Central Kitchen. Yep. And right now in nine stores. Tell me about these meal kits and how that came about. Yeah. Well, I think that's another one where the customer's expectation has been changing, right? And so... Things like Blue Apron and HelloFresh started to introduce this idea to customers that they could have a cook-at-home option where they still felt like they were doing something that was freshly prepared for their family rather than you know picking up to go, um, but was easy. Yeah. And so when we thought about um, that, we were trying to look at what do we um, what do we want to offer to our customers that meets that need, and it was really about um, a couple of things. One, the best possible quality ingredients. So making sure that we were um, sourcing for those meal kits the same types of quality that you would find anywhere else. So um, almost all entirely organic ingredients and really high high quality. And also packaging. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the challenges with some of those delivery um, kit systems is there's a lot that comes with it. And if you're on a regular subscription or something like that, it's um, it becomes challenging to be able to uh, recycle or reuse all of that. And so we looked at how we could slim this down and, and make it really package light. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is having them in stores versus delivered separately, although you can order them via Instacart, so you can still get it delivered. Um, But the idea is really high quality ingredients. Partnership with Matt has been fantastic. So he's a two-star Michelin chef, so it's been great to work with him. And his focus was really, how do we make great cooking accessible for everybody and um, teach people how to use different ingredients that they might not normally come across? There was one quote I forgot to write down, but it was about you don't, and and I'm probably screwing this up, you don't learn how to cook, you learn about a vegetable, and then it goes from there. How right, you say right. That? I think he said something about, you know, really understanding your ingredients versus the steps of cooking, the right. mechanical steps of cooking, right. kind of going at it the other way around, yeah. so that you start to build more of a facility with whatever you're cooking in confidence, yeah. 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 So what else is on the horizon for new seasons in 2019 and beyond? I mean, what are you looking at both in the stores and, you know, sort of outside the stores to keep growing? And and by growing, I don't mean more stores necessarily, Mm -hmm. but to grow as a company. Yeah. I think one of the, the things is now that we're, you know, 19 years old, it's about looking at our existing stores with some new eyes. So some of that growth is going to come from um, refreshing our existing stores. Our Raleigh Hill store that you talked about, the first location, recently had um, some remodel and upgrade. And um, the customers there are incredibly loyal, many of whom have been shopping with us from day one. And they were really excited to see some of the improvements in the store. So um, we'll be focused on doing that in a couple other locations. And what else did I miss? And we've talked about quite a bit. So when we think about that ability to connect 
our customers, our staff, our communities together. Um, one of the things that I really love is our partnership with Urban Gleaners. Mm-hmm. And so looking at food waste and how we minimize food waste, obviously we're trying to minimize it first at the store level. Um, and then we have gleaning partners that come and, and pick up um, the food that we're not able to um, manage on the front end in terms of, of waste. And we have meetings at each one of our store locations annually where the whole team gets together. And I was recently at um, the meeting at our central kitchen and they participate in this program as well and work with urban gleaners. And um, one of the representatives from urban gleaners came and talked about the impact of that gleaning program so that our staff who were participating really understood what the end result was. And they focus a lot on kids who are food insecure. And what she was describing was um, how during the summer, um, many children are getting their food at school, right? And so summer is particularly hard and that the hundreds of families that had been supported through our ability to, to partner with them in Urban Gleaners. I bet that had a powerful impact on them. It really did. It had a very powerful impact on the staff because it wasn't just about an operational task of let me make sure that this food goes to the right place and um, gets picked up by the right people at the right time. It's um, understanding that it was really impacting kids and families. And And they're more conscious about it then, and they're thinking about that at work. Right. We're saving this food. You know, we're putting this food aside, and this is why it's getting picked up. Because these are the folks that are impacted. Yes. That's neat. Yeah. Thank you both so much, Stan and Christy, for coming in uh, for the podcast. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Stan Amy and Christy McFarlane. If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating King's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.